Life Church, good morning. I hope you're uh, here ready to receive from God's word today because I hope to share with you what God has put on my heart as we start a brand new series called Home Security. It's called Home Security. It's a, a series that we're adapting and that we're going to let the teachings of Jesus guide our understanding of what it means to be a part of a healthy family. Now, I know that for some of you in this room, when you hear the word family, it doesn't just evoke warm, comforting feelings in your mind and in your heart. Uh, it can be for a variety of reasons. Maybe you don't come from a, um, a warm and loving family. Maybe you're a part of a family that's not that warm and loving. Maybe for you, it's just a, a, a different thing. Maybe you are a part of a blended family. And so you've got his kids and her kids and our kids and their kids and who, you know, just kids show up at your house all the time. Maybe for you, you're a single mother. And so you're just trying to survive and keep everybody alive. Uh, maybe for you, you are a, uh, maybe you're a couple that has chosen not to have children or you're unable to have children. And so whatever that might mean for you, maybe you're just a single student in college right now. And so you're a family of your own and you're not even starting to think about family planning down the road. Regardless of your particular family situation, I believe that God has something for you in this series. And if you can't, in any one of these weeks and in any one of these messages, if you can't directly apply this to your immediate family, you could do one of two things or both. You can plan for your future family if you intend and hope to have a family at some, some time. You start doing things now for then. Or you could just apply them directly to your life because what we're going to do is go to Matthew chapter 5 and listen to the teachings of Jesus, particularly when he's sharing with us the Beatitudes. He's sharing with his disciples and the people that have gathered around on the hillside the Beatitudes, one of his most important teachings. And throughout a series of verses, he begins to say, blessed are those that do this. Blessed are those that do this. If you're from a more traditional church background, blessed are those that do this. It means the same thing. All right. And so he's not specifically talking about families. So for you, if you just need to apply this to your individualized self, that is completely okay. But we're going to look at a different, uh, a different one of these Beatitudes each and every week, and we're going to directly apply them to the family, hoping and praying that all of our families, today and in the future, can be better for it. Our Beatitude for today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Grab your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen on either side of me. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I'm going to read it again. It's a simple verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, can we say that last word together? satisfied. They shall be satisfied. How many of you want to be satisfied in life? All right, just a few of us. All right, how many of you want to be unsatisfied? That would be the rest of you, right? Go ahead. Um, we all want to be satisfied. We want to live full lives. We want to be satisfied, and here's one of the ways that we can do that. I've got a question for you this morning. In your family, in your home, in your dorm, what are you most hungry for? What are you most 
interested in? What are you pursuing most? What are you running after and looking for satisfaction in? Some of you this morning, you could honestly say that me and my family, we are pursuing first and foremost, God and his righteousness. Righteousness, by the way, right living. It's living according to God and God's standards. But others of us, if we were being honest this morning, would say something else. Like we're, maybe for you, you're just trying to preserve sanity. You've got, uh, you've got three kids, two dogs, and a spouse, and that's a lot to keep up with, and you're just not trying to lose your mind on a daily basis. So maybe that's what you're most hungry for. For some of you, you might say that if you were being honest, you and your family are pursuing image. An image. You're just trying to keep up with the Joneses or uh, the Kardashians or whoever is right down the street. You're trying to get your life to that standard, to drive that car, to have that big of a house, that nice of a lawn, Maybe for you, you are just trying to pursue and you're hungry for best. Whatever best might mean in your particular context. It might mean that mom wants to reach the top of her company. Or it might mean that the son is starting a point guard on the Pee Wee basketball team. But he for sure is going to go pro someday. So we're going to divert all of our attention and energy and finances into this pursuit. Many of us, if we're being honest, would say that our families are hungry for and are pursuing so many things above and beyond what matters most. That we've got so many other things in place that we are actively pursuing other than God. We do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. So how do we fix this? What do we do about this? Well, how do we begin to change our appetites so that we hunger and thirst for the right things? Over the next few moments, I want to share with you three things, three practical ways that we can begin to create and cultivate hunger for God in our families. I would encourage you to grab something, take notes this morning. The points will be on the screen. Number one, one thing that you can do to create and cultivate hunger in your life and in your family is to keep God at the center of your family. Keep God at the center of your family. I know we're not allowed church often, but this is the perfect time for men in the house, women in the house to say amen. And I don't want you to do it at this point. You missed the opportunity. But these are the kind of times where you can speak up for and stand up for what you know to be good, what you know to be right for your family, even if you're not perfect in following it yet. In order to... Hunger and thirst for righteousness, and in order to fully and completely be satisfied by God, you must do everything in your power to keep God at the center of your family. We're getting there. I'm not a part of your family, so whatever you feel like you need to do. Look, I get it. You're at church this morning, so you, there's probably something within you that wants to keep God at the center of things. Right? I mean, you're here. You're doing something. You're doing more than the majority of people. Uh, You don't necessarily have to be here, but you're here. And so the majority of you want this. You want to keep God at the center of your family, but it's the how that is the hard part. Yeah? 
It's the how. Life is difficult. Life is tough. Life is quick. Life is hard. You, you never, like, were trained on how to take care of a kid when they've got this problem or that problem. You're just trying to make it, right? I get it that life is difficult. And maybe you've tried many times to put God at the center of your family, but maybe you've tried and tried and tried, and as many times as you've tried, you've failed and failed and failed. And so you've just given up. I get it, it's not easy. So I want to share with you a method that works. It works 100% of the time. Uh, Before I share with you what works, I want to share with you two methods that do not work, okay? So in keeping God at the center of your family, here's two methods that do not work. It is lukewarm Christianity, and it is legalistic Christianity, It is two different forms of Christianity on the same spectrum, but on the other side of the spectrum from one another. We've got lukewarm Christianity on one side. We've got legalistic Christianity on the other side. Let me explain both. Legalistic Christianity is where you reduce Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts, should and should nots, can and can'ts. Rules are at the center of our family, or at least our faith. It's a don't do this, only do this. And for a lot of people that fall into this trap, the list of don'ts are a lot larger than the list of do's. We made Christianity a thing that sucks the fun out of everything else in life. But at least you'll get to heaven one day and you'll probably have fun there when you just ride on a cloud all day in a robe playing a harp. (laughs) Rules aren't bad. But when rules are at the very center of who we are and what we do, then we're missing the points. Think about a marriage. There's rules. When a husband and a wife gets married, there's some rules that they're agreeing to, that they're contracting and covenanting to. There's some rules. But if rules are the only reason you're not doing this or this, you're missing the points. Rules are important within a marriage. But if you have to remind each other every single day, hey, you can't do that. Remember, there's a rule. If you're not being guided by love, but you're being guided by rules, then you're missing the points. And here's the thing. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. There are many wayward children today that felt as though their faith was a list of do's and don'ts. And so it caused them to be frustrated, it caused them to be disenchanted with the idea of church and the Christian community, and a lot of, believe, uh, there's a lot of young adults today that have um, deconstructed, that's the key word today, their faith, not because they're disenfranchised with God, but because they're disenfranchised with God's people and the rules that they think are upon them. Rules are good, but rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And then there's lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity is on the other end of the spectrum. This is when someone maybe believes in God, but acts and lives as though God doesn't really exist. Another term for this might be cultural Christianity. You're a Christian because you go to church, but you've heard pastors say it before and it's true, I'll echo it. Um, Just because you're standing in a garage doesn't make you a car and just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. 
Just because you're doing the things and you're checking the boxes doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a true Christ follower. And I can't tell you if you and your family are falling into either one of these categories, but maybe a few questions might help you to determine if this is you. A few questions. Don't answer out loud, but do answer. When is the last time you prayed together as a family? When's the last time you've actually come together and prayed for one another? Are Sundays the only day of the week where your family talk about God and think about faith? Do you have rules and expectations that you set on your children, but you yourself don't follow? When is the last time that you and your family have done something outside of the home to serve someone else? Legalistic Christianity and lukewarm Christianity do not work. Either of these will often create frustrated kids that become jaded adults who want nothing to do with this version of Christianity. In Revelation chapter 3, actually, Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you are lukewarm, what does it say? I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'll spew you out of my mouth. It makes Jesus sick. It's lukewarm and legalistic Christianity. I want to tell you what does work, okay? This would be the one that I would write down. I know it sounds redundant, but bear with me. What does work is Christ-centered Christianity. Christ-centered Christianity. This is true Christianity. Christianity that matters not only on Sundays, but also on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays, maybe even more so than on Sundays. This is a Christianity where Christ is not just a part of our lives. It's not just an add-on or an app, but Jesus is at the very center of our lives. Scripture doesn't say that you will be satisfied if you like Jesus whenever he is convenient to you. Scripture says that you will be satisfied if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love the way that David in the Old Testament, he, he um, expresses his emotions and feelings and admiration towards God in one of his psalms. He says this in Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Man, I know you probably never wrote poetry like that before, but is this indicative of you and your relationship for God and your passion for the things of God? David's relationship with God, according to his own words, wasn't casual and it wasn't fleeting. God was at the very center of everything David was. Is this you? In a dry and weary land, does your soul, does the soul of your family thirst for God? You can take steps today. You can take steps today to lead your family and to personally get back to a place or maybe go to a place for the first time where your soul hungers and thirsts for God. Keep God at the center of your family. You are not just a Christian family in name. You are a Christ-centered family. A second way that you can cultivate hunger for God in your home is make church non-negotiable. Make church non-negotiable. If you desire 
to be a person and a family and a home that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, then you must make the collective worship of your God a priority in your life. I, I cannot overstate how important this is. All it takes is one hour a week for you to gather the family together, for you to go to church together, to hear the proclamation of the gospel, to join together in the worship of your Savior. Church, the gathering together of the saints is incredibly important for the life of a Christ follower. And I get it. I'm a pastor here on staff, so of course I'm going to say that, but I'm not the only one that says this. There's not a verse in the Bible that says you and your family should go to church every Sunday. They didn't do it just quite the way that we did. However, we do have verses like Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. This says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Listen, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. He's calling some people out. But encourage one another and all the more. Do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. Scripture is clear that it is increasingly important to gather together as believers for worship and biblical instruction. It is important. I know there are a lot of people out there today that say that they love God, but they hate the church. And I understand the sentiment sometimes because the church, the big C church, or even the small C church can sometimes do really terrible things. But one of the things that I often think about is that um, the church in the Bible is often called the bride of Christ. You might not like me, but if you hate me, you're probably not going to be friends with my wife and vice versa. With, with, with God, you, you, can't, you can't like God but hate his bride. It's a thing that you've got to be a part of together and, and be involved in. Um, it, it, church has to be for your family non-negotiable. In high school, I was in a band. Outside of school, I was in a traveling band. We would travel around Texas in an RV, play shows on the weekends, and then we'd come back uh, at the end of the weekend. I cannot believe still that my parents would allow me to do this age 16, 17, traveling around in an RV with with a group of other guys just playing, playing shows. Um, they would allow me to do this, and they were okay with me doing this, as long as, I mean, there were a few rules or expectations within there, but one of the things was that I had to be in Sunday school first thing Sunday morning, no matter what. So sometimes we would come back from playing shows, and I would get home at 2 or 3 in the morning on a Sunday morning. I would shower get to sleep for just a couple of hours, but each and every Sunday, without fail, I was in Sunday school. I didn't want to be there sometimes. I didn't feel like being there sometimes, but I was always there because for us, for our family, church was non-negotiable. My dad was also the pastor, so it might have had something to do with it, but... It was incredibly important for our family and something that we were committed to. And look what kind of person it created, you know? So here's the proof for you today. And listen, even though we have a world-class kids ministry and a state-of-the-art youth program, I understand that your preteen sometimes doesn't feel like going to church. I have two words for you that you can share with them if you would like, the, if you would like to, and you can tell them it came from Pastor Dustin. Who cares? 
Who cares what your preteen thinks? Sure, I know some of you are clapping and some of you are scared about your kid. Who cares what your kid thinks? They forgot to brush their teeth this morning. Why would you ever take advice from them as to what is good for them? You are the parent, they are the child. You know what's best for them. They'll eat fruit roll-ups for dinner if you let them. You as the parent need to make the decisions for your children. It is your responsibility to create a culture where one hour a week of corporate worship is just a part of the family DNA. And once that is established, you need to ruthlessly, aggressively fight to maintain it because everything will try to come against it. Extracurricular activities, sport events, special events, vacations, holidays, good weather, bad weather, there will always be an excuse why not to do this. But you must create a culture where the Smith family, the Allen family, the Werner family just determines and decides that we go to church. That's just a part of who we are. Life Church, we've got something for everyone. We've got life kids, we've got Life Church youth, we've got 20-ish for our young adults, we have men's and women's ministries, we have life groups, we have so much for so many. We've got something for everybody. So drop the excuses, reprioritize, and make church non-negotiable. I guarantee you, you will not regret it. The third way that you can alter your appetite in order to create a hunger for God in your family The third and final way that I want to share with you this morning is this. Show how seeking and serving God is fun. Show how seeking and serving God is fun. Life Church is far from a boring church and Christianity is far from a boring religion. If you're doing this thing right, it is a blast. You get to pursue Jesus and it is the most exciting, most fulfilling journey you could ever take. And one of the best parts is you don't have to do it alone. Look around. Actually, look around. Look at the people around here. You get to do life with one another. You, not only that, you get to bring your family along with you. And so do things as a family. Serve at Life Center together. Go on a missions trip together. I know we're not necessarily doing missions trips right now in this context with what our world is facing today. So instead, fundraise together and then give the proceeds to Greater or to some other missionary, missionary or missions organization Attend a night of worship together. Join a life group together. Start a life group together. Do stuff together as a family. Serve on a team together. How cool would it be to walk into church and see a family of greeters at the door welcoming you, mom, dad, and kids. That would be beautiful. Serve together. I know you can't do all of these, but pick one or two things and commit to doing them as a family. And I promise you, memories will be made. And the more you do this, the more fun you will have as you seek and serve God together. Matthew chapter six, verse 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is a promise from Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So, so, What I want to ask first is at the start of that, seek first the kingdom of God. What are you seeking first? We talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the message. But what are your first thoughts in the morning? What gets your biggest check 
in a month's time? What are you most excited about? What are you most passionate about? What are you seeking first? Is it God and his kingdom and his righteousness? Or is it status, success, new car, fatter paycheck? What is your family seeking first? Jesus' promise is that when you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, everything else you could ever need will be given to you. Do you understand this? Everything else you ever need. God knows the desires of your heart, but more than that, God knows exactly what you need. And Jesus has promised that you will get the things that you need if you reprioritize and place the main thing to be the main thing, the first thing to be the first thing, then and only then will you have everything else you could ever need in life. This means that pursuing, that the pursuit and the outcome of seeking God is fun and it's worth it. Can the seeking and serving be challenging? Yes, of course. Can the seeking and serving be exhausting? Yes, of course. Does the seeking and serving mean that you can't seek and serve and do other things that other families are doing? Yes. Does seeking and serving require your time and energy and and money and all of these? Yes, all of those things, but it's worth it every single time. I can't promise you that this will fix your broken family. I can't promise you that your wayward child will instantly turn back and come home after you start implementing some of these behaviors and practices. But if we take Jesus' words at face value, then we can trust that not only the journey will be a blast, but the destination will be worth it. Proverbs 22, 6, you've heard it before, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old... He will not depart from it. You can do this. You can fight to keep God at the center of your family. You can make church non-negotiable. You can show how seeking and serving God is fun. And here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Joshua 24, 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You choose this day. You choose this day. You choose this day who you will serve. Are you going to be a Christian home in name only or are you going to be a Christ-centered home? Choose this day. Is church an option or is it at the very center of who we are? Is it a priority for me and my family? Choose this day. Is pursuing God a chore or a pleasure? Choose this day. You make the choice, this day and every day. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Come on, listen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's a promise. It's a promise for each and every one of us today. Choose this day. God, we come before you in this moment. And I pray that no matter who we are or no matter what our unique family situation is, that you would convict our hearts. We'd be challenged to do better.
God, help us to not allow life to lead our family, but that we would lead our family to a better, fuller, Christ-centered life. God, I pray that you would impress that heavily on our hearts this morning. In fact, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, I wanna know if I can pray for you specifically this morning. If that's you and you say, I'm, I I don't know, I felt some conviction this morning and I'm not there yet or my family's not there yet. Maybe I haven't led my family well or I want this for my family. You hear these things and you say, I want this. Would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. Yeah, already all across the room, people are lifting their hands. I just wanna see who I can pray for. Who, yeah, amazing. Yeah, in the back, okay, all around Is there anyone else that would lift their hands this morning and say, that's me? And if you put your hands up, you can put it back down. Awesome, wonderful. Anyone else this morning? I want to pray for you. Amen. God, in this moment, we bring these families before you and you see their desire. They want to please you. They want to pursue you. They want to put you first. God, it's difficult, but it's far from impossible. We will be imperfect, but we have your Holy Spirit inside of us, leading us, guiding us, and forgiving us whenever we fall short. So God, this morning, I pray for the strength to be able to do this, the creativity to be able to do this. God, I pray that you would stretch out your hands to men, women, children, and you do a work that only you can do this morning. God, for those that came in this room today not having a relationship with you, maybe they feel unrighteous. God, I pray that you would remind them that they are in good company. Not one of us are good. Not one of us are righteous in and of ourselves. But by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have made us righteous. You have made us holy. So God, in this moment, I pray that you would reach out your hand and that you would save people today. God, that they would respond to you, that they would believe in your name and they would be saved as they accept you as Lord and Savior of their lives. And it's in Jesus' mighty, matchless name that we pray these things. Amen.